This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to Dojo Live. This is episode two for today, Wednesday, November 18th, 2020. I am Tulio Sergusa, broadcasting from Southern California, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Carlos Ponce from Cornavaca, Mexico, and of course, Kim yeah. Lantis from Hermosillo. Hi, Kim. Hi, Carlos. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, let's not forget why we do this. It's all about our guest. And joining us today is Greg Dickinson, who's the founder and CEO of Omedim. Greg, welcome. You broadcasting from North Carolina, I think. South Carolina. South Thank Carolina. You. All right. Oh, I got Carolina right. Didn't get the South North right. <laughs> and Doug, you're uh, Doug Udoff, who's the chief customer officer of Omedim. He's broadcasting from New Jersey. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. So before we dive into our topic today and, and learn about your company, we'd love to learn about you individually. Can you give us a little bit about, uh, let's start with Greg. Tell, tell us a bit about yourself and then we'll move on to Doug. Well, first, thanks for the opportunity to, to meet you all and, and, and talk today. You're, you guys have a really great uh, live program here. Greg Dickinson, basically, I'm a software person. I've been involved in software since 1997 when I joined Ariba. It's my first experience in enterprise software as a pre-sales engineer. And from that time forward, I've just done software companies of different sizes. Ariba did a couple other startups, um, had the fortune of starting another company in, in 2007 called Hyperos. And... Um, had a good exit out of that. And then we started Amadim about two years ago, you know, kind of focused on buyer enablement, automating the demo and helping your buyer buy. And, you know, that's really what I do during the day is I really, really love software collaboration, working with people and, and talking to customers. And then when I'm outside of work, I, I, I live on a farm and take care of the farm and do a lot of woodworking. So when time permits, I get to my hobbies and I'm very, very appreciative of being here today. Excellent. We think we have all conversation about living on a farm. I'd love to hear more about that, especially with all the lockdown. That's where you want to be. Okay, Doug, tell us a little bit about you. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Doug Udoff, uh, and uh, I started my career uh, at Oracle. I'm a lifetime post-sales uh, guy in enterprise software. So I started with Oracle Consulting right out of college, uh, and I had a great run at Oracle. I uh, joined a company where I had the opportunity to meet Greg at Ariba. Uh, and we sp spent a bunch of time at Ariba. And then this is the third company Greg and I have worked together, uh, Ariba, uh, uh, Hyperos. Uh, and we saw that progress and eventually leading to it being acquired by Coupa and now here uh, at, at Omidum. And my entire career is post-sales enterprise software. So I'm, I'm, I live for helping customers be successful with our solutions. That's what I like to do. Excellent. I have a lot of experience with Ariba back in the day. So pre-sales and post-sale coming together, creating a company. I love it. Tell us about Omadim. And you've got to tell us about the name too, because I thought it's really cool how you came up with the name. But please tell us a little bit about Omadim. Yeah, so I'll take a stab at that. So, you know, when we when we when we left Hyperos, right, we, we, we started to kind of had this sense that things were starting to change in the world of the buyer, right? The the buyer was getting more control. They wanted to do more of the 
you know, kind of the investigation, the discovery on their own. And, you, you know, that was 2016. And so continue to look at that process from my exit of Hyperos into the starting of, of Amadim. You know, this, this fundamental shift that was taking place where your buyer wanted to do a lot more work on their own. They wanted it to be in a self-service mode. They really were leaning heavily on digital um, and they wanted things on demand. It, not a lot of opt-in. You take the second conversion that we looked at was kind of this idea of video and people were relying more and more and more on video when they wanted to see how something works or they wanted to learn something. And the last kind of convergence, and we actually, you know, I wrote a book on this called The Convenience Economy in that people want and they put the idea of convenience above price. I mean, if you look at, you know, home groceries and you look at, you know, being able to the Amazon effect, people really drive into the fact that they want things more convenient. They want things to happen faster and they want to be smoother. So we took all of those in together and formed Amadim. And our first stake was, hey, the product is very important to people. This experiential notion of people wanting to see the product test the product and these idea of, of product-led growth and all this came together. And we, and we said, hey, the demo is a place to start. Let's automate the demo using video, making it convenient and on demand. And oh, that was the name of the company, My Demo Backwards, Amadem, because the demo is something that's very important to the, the, to the buyer. And since that time, we've evolved the product to be beyond the demo. And now, our customers look at this as buyer enablement, helping your buyer buy, providing a portal, if you will, a way for your buyers that have questions about your company, about your product. They want to see it. They ask a question. Our software will find the exact moment inside the video where that answer is being displayed and they can watch that. So it takes away this. You, know, you think of a great analogy. Someone has a webinar. And the, the, the information they want to watch is at the 31 minute mark. Well, people don't watch 31 minutes of anything, but with our software, they could ask a question and it would find the exact moment where, you know, Carlos is talking about a specific topic. So that's what we call buyer enablement, using technology to help your buyer buy. Well, it sounds like a great topic to go right into. So let's go right into it. Kim, please uh, introduce the show. Let's kick it off. Want to learn more. Certainly, thank you to you, and thank you for being here, Greg and Doug. So as Greg already laid out for us uh, very clearly, today's topic is the importance of buyer enablement, the importance of um, to build trust digitally throughout the customer journey. And so Greg, you mentioned that one of the first stops in the customer journey is the demo, the video. Now I can relate to this, not necessarily because I'm trying to buy software, but I do try to look um, and see if there's software development companies who would be a good fit for us here at Encora. And one of those first stops for me um, in my role as sales development is, is this a client for me? Is this an ideal client profile? Do they develop their software? And I've noticed that sometimes in the software universe, things can, you know, websites really aren't that great. There's this confusion of like, what's their product? What, what do they do exactly? Is this going to be useful for me? And, and I rely on the videos. Um, and I really like this idea of incorporating a question that I might have directly into the video. Um, so what is that process? And going back to the human side of it, what are the questions that you anticipate? Like, how do you even get to that point of the human nature and discover what are the questions people are going to be asking? 
Kim, great, great question. So first, let's start. Think about the top of the funnel, right? To your exact example, someone comes to a website and they have questions, right? They want to know about your software. Maybe they want to know how well, how your security works. Maybe they want to know, you know, where it's hosted. Do you do workflow? Do you have analytics? All these questions that that the business buyer has, and it's a well-known fact that you click on the request a demo button to see, quote unquote, a demo of the product. Listen, we all know exactly what's going to happen when we click on that button. A form's going to come up and they're going to want everything to know about you, right? Because they're trying to drive this opt in. 85 to 90% of the time, people will abandon that form. They will not at that, at that part of the customer buyer journey, they're not going to opt in and fill out that form. They're just not going to do it. It's, it. it's reminiscent of you and I going to a store, looking at TVs, and the salesperson asks us, can they help us? And we all say, not right now. I'm just looking, right? We don't want to be bothered when we're on our you know, buying journey. So on the website, we think this idea of digital trust is if a person has a question, give them the answer. Allow them to ask a question. And that's what our technology does. It allows them to, to look at a topic that's automatically generated. You can seed, right, the the the, the, the portal the with questions you know that prospects have asked in the past, and then you can allow a free form, just like a Google search, and have them type in a question, and it brings them to the answer. The answer could be a PDF, it could be a PowerPoint presentation that Carlos did that he recorded, it could be you know, a, a, a video representation of the product, the demo that was done, could be a webinar, right? All this oodles and oodles of content that companies have, we call it everyday content, that's available, but instead, they tend to keep it behind this lock and key of, I got to give you my first name, last name, email address, my title. What am I buying three, six, nine months? Heck, I don't even know if I'm buying yet. And yet that's the process, right? And so that's why we came up with buyer enablement to say, companies stop for a second and think about the fact that when you as a person buy, when you buy, you will know, you will not put up with any friction. If it's hard, you'll swipe left and go someplace else. But yet when you go to work, you put this process in place that makes it very difficult for your buyer to even learn. Kim, to your point, I just want to learn if this company is, is right for me. And they put up all these walls and barriers, right? And that's, you know, that's what we're, that's top of the funnel um, from the, from the marketing side of things. And if I could just jump in too, you know, Kim, the other thing that's really interesting is, especially if you think about researching companies, right? Whether you're looking to buy the product or in your use case, when do you have time to do that? And our, we see our customers have almost 50% of people visit these portals nights and weekends. So if you think about it, you're a traditional software company, right? And you've got people available to do demos nine to five Monday through Friday. You know, someone visits on a Sunday at two o'clock in the afternoon, they wanna learn about more about your products and services. If they can't get the answers to, your, to their questions on your website, they're going to the next website and the next website until they get the answers. When they finally get the answers, by the way, that's when the music stops, right? That's when they're gonna stick. <laughs> and so, so uh, enabling people in this convenience world, right, to allow people to do it when they have time, you know, and then, of course, this thing happened this year with COVID, right? No, salespeople can't visit somebody in an office, right? You can't call somebody on the phone. No one's at their desk. So creating these frictional barriers there that make it hard for people to get answers to their questions, they're just not going to do it. Uh, you know, they, so you need to enable someone to get answers when they want, how they want without that friction. And that's what we're really trying to do is take that friction away. That's so, really beautiful. I am hearing like this paradox of you actually have more control by giving away control. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's an interesting dilemma, right? Because if you go back in time, 
before we had instant technology, instant access to people, right? You had you called someone, someone took a note, and they then created a follow-up. So you needed to have this information collected in order to get a return call or a return email, et cetera, or a return snail mail in some cases. So those models that, I don't know, probably 50-plus years old, are still in play with some of these decisions that are being made, but they don't work because we're not, to your point, if I want to look at something on Sunday, I, let me have access to it because that's when yeah, I have time. Yeah. So yeah. how are you helping organizations get over that hurdle, change their mindset about how to create that customer journey in such a way that fits the modern era? What are some of the yeah, challenges Dudo. you're seeing? Today? Yeah, Dudo, you hit the nail on the head, right? You've only known us for six six minutes, and you've already, you know, kind of drilled in on that fact that if you we, we hear it all the time, people will say the sales process was developed 20 years ago, right? Of of and and, and back then, you're right. You don't have to go back 50 years. You can go back 20 years. If I wanted information on a company, I had to go to the salesperson. They they had all the information. They doled it out, but I could not today. We all have about 11 sources for information. You want to know how to do a podcast? There's 11 places you can learn about podcasting or, you know, e-procurement or any topic you want. And so companies kind of, they're, they're, they still are holding on to these old kind of tendencies to say, well, I want to control the information. And they don't realize they don't no longer have any control. Kim, to your point, we say give convenience, gain control, right? Think of that digital trust. If you... It, 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 as a person, you know, when you're going and trying to find information on something for yourself at home and you that, that, that place you're going gives you recommendations, it gives you answers. You can go and find videos that that company has produced. When it comes time for you to buy, you trust them. You've established digital trust. It's the same as 20 years ago when you would go to dinner or go to lunch or have a visit and you begin to establish you know, that trust. So we you know, talk to companies all the time to say, you know, think about if you really stop for a second, measure your metrics. And when we get someone to sit down and say, how's your dwell time on your website? How your, are your opt-in rates? What about your customer acquisition costs? Research shows it's up 70% in the last five years while willingness to pay is down. Is that what you're seeing at your company? And when they stop, they'll admit, yes, those problems are happening. And then they begin to peel back the onion and realize that all we're recommending is an augmentation to the salesperson or the pre-sales person, the marketing person, give them a digital channel. As Gartner says, the salesperson is no longer the channel, they're a channel. And so what Amadim is offering is a way for you to, to help your salesperson help the buyer buy and begin to overcome some of those preconceived notions of, wow, I need to control this or I have to build a relationship. The digital world exists use that to your advantage and you slowly but surely companies are starting to realize that there is a different way and a different process they can follow so you hit the nail on the head it's all about change management and, and, and giving up some of those you know compensation metrics right that are driven that that need to go away like mqls mm -hmm. if you're driven by mqls you're going to say hey i need opt-ins that's how i get paid and opt-ins are actually your enemy right now so go from that perspective um, i got a <clears throat> i got a question uh, so, um, I'm from what I'm looking on your website, uh, and this, my question is more from the average run of the mill layman. Uh, if, so what I'm looking at, I'm looking at how it works and it's a fairly straightforward. It's a very clear 
But my understanding is that this is mostly uh, for a B2B type of scenario. So if I were, if we were to, to ponder the possibilities for a B2C type of scenario, uh, what would you say? Is this? Do you envision this possibility, or what might be the challenges that may lay ahead? Well, you know, as uh, as Doug said, we've done this together now, going on the third time, right? And the and the, the and how you're successful is focus. And so, you know, Carlos, we get calls every day. As a matter of fact, you know, we don't we don't advertise, but we have a real estate customer, right? A B to C, uh, you know, C to C customer that is selling real estate because people want to find the video of the master bedroom or of the over the back porch or doesn't have a basement and they want to find it very quickly. So we, we had a call just last week where someone saying, man, when we sell medical devices, we have to actually show step by step how that's done. We have thousands upon thousands of those. If the doctor wants to go back and get a refresher on, on does it do this or how does it do this? Your technology would be great. But, but if we went everywhere we possibly could, right? B2C, medical devices, real estate, and then also, you know, kind of SaaS companies, you know, we would be spreading ourselves so thin. Um, mm -hmm. So we started what we know, right? Just in, in true transparency, Doug and I, you know, come from the SaaS world. We've been in the SaaS world now for, for an awful long time. We know it pretty well. We, we, we able to have the conversations we need to grow. So we'll go there, but what we'll do after we have the success and momentum here is we'll begin to look at channel opportunities utilizing our robust platform. Another, you know, kind of vertical that came at us about six months ago, right at the time COVID started was higher education, right? And being able to record those classroom sessions and allowing a student to go back and search and find the answers to that question when they're studying for the final exam. So plenty of uses, but we're focused on SAS right this second. Doug, would you, what do you got to say about that? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is we are focused on, on, on the B2B space. But what we've seen and we have successes there is we started really, I'll say, top of the funnel, right? Supporting marketing and on the website. And we have customers now using us top of the funnel. Salespeople are using our solution to invite a prospect to a private portal and all the way through through a customer success and support use case. So we've decided to stay within this world, but literally we have customers covering the entire spectrum of it. So from marketing, pre-sales, sales, uh, and post-sales uh, and supporting and supporting their class of uh, uh, users and clients because the challenge exists, whether it's a support question, if you have a question on how to do something is no different than a pre-sales question. You have a very short attention span. You wanna watch the answer. You don't wanna read the answer uh, and you wanna get in and get out. And our really unique capability to, to allow people to search inside and across a library of videos allows someone to immediately get to the answers to their questions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and Carlos, one other kind of little tidbit on that is that the other thing is that that session that your prospect or your customer is is engaged in, right? What questions they ask, what topics they click on, what what videos they watch, how long do they watch? Do they invite a peer? We, re, we, we maintain all that data so that your salespeople now have buyer intent. They have buyer signals of knowing, hey, Carlos came in and he was very interested in you know, agile programming versus Doug came in and Doug wanted to know more about QA services. Now, when you talk to them, you know what to talk about because Carlos raised his hand and said, my point of interest in your company is this and Doug did it differently so that, that you know, a lot of salespeople complain about the fact or inside sales. I don't know which ones to go focus on. Marketing gave me a hundred leads. Where do I go? Now we prioritize that by a score saying we know exactly how Carlos spent 
an hour, asked 40 questions, Doug came in and spent two minutes, and Kim came in, watched two things, and left. Well, guess what? I'm going to go focus on Carlos, then Doug, then Kim. So now I give my salespeople intelligence as to what they should be doing and who they can go serve. Same thing to Doug's point of post-service, right? Customer success, Doug uses this in our world to be able to know what content we need to produce based on what questions people ask that we don't have you know, answers for right now. So it fits all those, those criteria. Great question. So you Thank mentioned, you. sorry, Carlos, I think there's a delay. I don't mean to talk. Go about ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Um, Doug, you mentioned, and we're talking a lot about video here, people wanting to watch or listen to their answers rather than read them. But it's my understanding still that with search engine optimization, there has to be some elements of text to even get people to that video. Um, so how are you able to make all this excellent video content even searchable to get people to watch it in the first place? Yeah, great question. So, and, and SEO is obviously important when you're trying to drive people to the website. So we have different techniques that we use, but we effectively, when we're, when we take a digital asset, a video, we do automatically, uh, completely automatically transcribe that to understand what's spoken when. That's what fuels the search engine. And we're starting to see how we can use elements of what's actually spoken in that video to help feed into a model to make that more visible on the website. Because at the end of the day, SEO, you know, Google is looking at words that are on your website and based upon how that information is tagged. So effectively taking information that we know that's captured through when we process those videos and making that visible so that way it starts to be able to feed into the ability to help drive uh, drive search, right? And, and we see over and over again, by the way, that our customers especially, they don't have a problem getting people to the website. The problem is when they get there, do they have a good reason to stay? You know, and when we're seeing, we're seeing people that are accessing the Omnium environment and it's having a five, six minute dwell time when they're used to getting a 20 or 30 second dwell time, right? It's it's enabling this process and really extending their visit timeline. And that's where it starts to get uh, uh, get interesting. So, you know, th their website already has the ability to hook them. The problem is you get them there and they don't know what to do, right? You start at Google, you're looking for a solution that does X, you go to the site, are you able to get the answers to the questions? And people engage very, very easily with video. Yeah. What about the engagement? What do you do on your side with Amadim to make it user friendly? So you're very customer, you know, user focused. So it's not just about how useful this product is for your the businesses that you're working with, but how do you I'm imagining that an offshoot of that is just the UX UI element. How user friendly is it? Yeah, I mean, the great news is it's right available on our website so you can try it out or look at some of our customers environments, but we really try to think about that user experience. And the truth is be, different people interact with websites in different ways. Uh, some people are searchers and some people are clickers. And so we actually designed the application to support both of those models. When you go into the application, you'll see that there's the top questions that are there available, uh, but you can type anything you want in search or you can choose topics as well. So we try to think about and support the fact that not everybody engages uh, in the same way. And we provided a whole bunch of different ways for people that choose to interact in different mechanisms. And, and, it, and it gets a great response. And, and we do see interesting trends, right? You'll see clickers <laughs> and you'll see searchers and some people cross over, but we all learn in different ways with different learning mm -hmm. styles. We try to think about that in the design of the application. All right, personal question. Greg, are you a clicker or are you a searcher? I'm a clicker. <laughs> Doug? I do a lot of clicking as well. Uh, I, I think what we find is that, you know, when, when you 
you know, use your example, Kim. If I am going to try to learn, right, about an, about a, a company that does you know, application development, and in the very beginning of being introduced to your company, I have I have can questions. Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? As so, those are great topics because you see, you know, agile, you see JavaScript, you see, you know, kind of QA, and I, and I can look at those topics and say, oh, yeah, that's good. As I learn more about you, I move from can to how. How do you do agile? How do you do QA? And so now I'm going to start typing in questions and looking at the recommendations you gave me. So Doug's 100% correct. And Doug's being a little modest here. Doug pours through. He eats data for breakfast. And he pours through all of this data from thousands upon thousands of prospects that are coming in. We know what you know where they are in the funnel, whether they're prospects, suspects, or you know, kind of opportunities. And we can see that behavior and what they're doing. Doug's got to the point where based on certain behaviors, these clickers and searchers and, and do they invite somebody, he can begin to get a notion, is that customer going to buy? So this predictive pattern behavior of looking at someone followed a pattern, they looked at it Saturday morning, they invited their boss on Sunday, the boss came in Sunday night and then Monday, they called for a proposal, right? We can start to see that through this user-friendly data that, that people are exposed to. But Kim, you hit on something that's really cool is that we kind of serve two masters, right? We have to make it easy for that prospect to consume and get answers to questions and has to be easy for marketing, customer success, salespeople to be able to you know engage with that because really we're helping the buyer buy, but at the end of the day, right, we're helping the seller sell. So it's been probably, I don't know, maybe 25 years since Peppers and Rogers was taunting this idea of personalization, one-to-one -one marketing, which has heavily been adopted in the B2C space. But for the most part, from a B2B perspective, it's been a fail. It, it sounds to me your technology enables that personalization. My question is, do you think that it's more appropriate generationally now because buyers now are the people that are more open to not having to interact with a human being to start the sales process is that what's causing these proliferation of more personalized approaches to the customer journey yeah i i you know i'm gonna let doug jump in here because he sees the data a lot more than i do but i think what you what you're talking about is the fact that people right have become more likely to want to do work on their own, right? This research, when you go buy a car, right? You don't go to the car lot and walk in and ask questions. You do all your homework and then, right? You go to the car lot when you're ready to see the product, the car. And then you have a few specific questions that you couldn't find answers to. And that journey is digital. And I think what you're finding is if you can make that digital experience very relevant and authentic and the authentic comes in where, I want to be able to make sure that when Kim comes in and let's pretend that her, you know, she's in the, in the, in the sales department, the content is more geared towards the, that, that the question that she would ask versus Carlos being, maybe he's the CTO and he wants to know things around security and encryption. You don't want to cloud those two things up. So providing that digital journey, but beginning to make that journey personalized as they engage is, is critical. I use this example in my, in my book, I wrote the convenience economy and you know, if you think of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a couple going in to buy a car and they and they see the, you know, someone first and they say, oh, you know, he or she must be interested in speed. I'm going to talk about miles per hour and how fast a turn they can go to and zero for 60. They didn't know that that, that couple is having a baby 
And what they really were interested in is safety. And they were really interested in car seats and airbags. The, that, that personalization is very, very important, right? Because you only get, as Gartner says, 17% of a buyer's time. If you're looking at three vendors, you get 6% of their time. You better make it impactful. You better use that digital experience to augment your selling apparatus and your selling motion to, to get information to them that's relevant to them. So Julia, you hit the nail on the head. We're just all very much attuned with the fact that we'll go to Google and we'll search and search and search until we'll find the information we want. We'll consume it, whether it's video or text, and they expect that on your on your website. They're coming to you. They want to be able to search and find the information, the, the answers to their questions. And that's where the world we live in. Great. We're, we're coming up on time. Um, you spoke of car seats. We could have a whole show about how car seats had something to do with how we, car seats has something to do with how we shape, car seat how we shaped Dojo Live based on one of the members of the uh, team uh, authentically talking about the importance of it because that's how we were talking, trying to connect to being authentic. But that's a whole other conversation. Okay. We're up on time. Quick question. You guys have built three companies, if I heard correctly, when you started together. Uh, congratulations. Tell us what the journey for you. We've, talk, we've been talking about the customer journey. Tell us about the entrepreneurial journey a little bit. What have been some of the lessons you've learned about yourselves in this process? Doug, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. He's like, thanks. Leave the hard question oh, for me. <laughs> and uh, you know, philosophically, I mean, I'll tell you the one thing that becomes important to me is thinking about the customer success and how the customer success drives uh, my success and our success. And and if the customers don't get success from what you're doing, they're not going to be a customer forever. And ultimately, you know, we're trying to build long-term relationships. So I look at it as one of the things I've trying to take away is. I like to measure my success by my customer success, uh, and ultimately, that's the key thing to understand. It's not about it's not about customer satisfaction. I'm not as focused on do they like me or not. What I'm focused on is are they actually getting value out of what I'm doing to help their business? And if they're getting value from it, then they're able to get that success. And that's really what I try to drive towards. And then you know, for, for me, I'll take a little bit different from the entrepreneur second. I, I, I build companies, and what I try to do is I think that you know he or she who has the best team wins. And I've found that I need to surround myself with people that are not like me, right? And it would be weird if you you know Doug can look at an email and I can look at an email. He'll find fourteen errors. I won't find any, right? It just it's a it's it's just the way he studies things, the way he sees things are much different than me. And so I think how we've been successful and why we're successful is I'm willing to bring on people that that will argue and debate and and and. We as a team will get to the right answer because we're not all going to go, yeah, that's exactly what we should go do. And, and it's different personalities and different skill sets that you bring together. It's hard, right? At times you want to, you know, you want to pull each other's, you know, but but at the same time, it's what helps your company grow when you're willing to, you know, to kind of look at your weaknesses and let someone that's stronger than you in a certain area take over, right? And that's how you build a good team and a good company. You can't be we'll afraid. Like hell. It's never easy. <laughs> you, you can't be afraid to argue to get to the truth, uh, and that's what ultimately wins. It's been a pleasure to have you both on the show today. We've learned a lot. Uh, we wish you a lot of success. We will definitely keep up and learn more about some, maybe have you back in the future, talk about some more use cases, uh, and just stay with us as, as we go off the air. Carlos, we got one more show tomorrow, right? One what one we got coming up? Sure, Tulio. Tomorrow we're going to be speaking with Milana Valmont. Uh, and Mateus Grzelak, 
I hope I got pronounced it correctly, uh, from the, the CEO and CTO, respectively, of Kiracora. Uh, and uh, we're going to be speaking about stocking on leverage with Kira. In other words, we're going to be uh, elaborating on uh, powering the centralized applications with the liquidity of assets at stake. So that's tomorrow right here on Dojo Live at 1 p.m. Pacific. Thanks for joining. Until then, stay safe. Stay Thank safe. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.